they, they would sit with you and they hold your hand and, and, and they just let you talk and, and, and get it all, all out. And, and that, that's what helped me the most. And, and they just, they'd hug you and... and You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael DeVolpier, Communications Officer with the American Red Cross in Greater New York. Welcome back to the third season of our podcast, where we look at some of the disasters that shaped our country over the past 20 years. This episode is the second in a two-part series that examines the November 2018 campfire that destroyed the town of Paradise, California, and neighboring communities in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. In our last episode, we met some of the community members who helped save lives amid the flames. Today, we're going to provide a behind-the-scenes look at one of the Red Cross shelters that opened to support many of the thousands of evacuees from Paradise and neighboring towns. The largest of these facilities was at the Butte County Fairgrounds in the town of Gridley, about 35 miles from Paradise. Helping to open and run this facility for the Red Cross was longtime volunteer Robin Brinson from Sacramento. Robin is the shelter lead for the American Red Cross Gold Country region. I remember the morning that the campfire broke out. It was early. I believe I found out later in the day that it actually started around 6 a.m. However, I didn't start getting my alerts from the Red Cross for a little while later, uh, and that was due to lots of things. The fire remained in a very remote location for quite a while, then it roared into the city of Paradise at an unprecedented speed, and everything happened so quick that morning. So what happens first on, on a deployment, the way that we get our calls is that our Department of OES, Office of Emergency Services, will make decisions on based on the information they're getting from all outside resources. And that included PG&E that day who discovered the fire. It also included lots of other people between the police department and the fire department, CAL FIRE, everybody. And then they, of course, called Red Cross to start mobilizing When I got the call, I believe it was around 8 a.m., and I was asked to deploy. I was given my instructions very, very quickly as to where I was going for the shelter and and how many people I would probably be expecting. And the number that I would probably be expecting was staggering to me that it was happening that quickly and escalating up. So I was packing my bags and getting all my equipment ready and was on the road. And I believe I reached uh, Butte County Fairgrounds in Gridley probably by 11 a.m. And everything was being put into place and poor clients were arriving as we were arriving and some already waiting for us. And everyone in, in disarray and and shock and uh, some coming in with soot on their face and and just the dazed expressions on their face was distressing. Here's Bonnie and Chip, an elderly couple from Paradise who were separated for hours due to the fire before they were reunited at the Red Cross shelter. When they called me about nine o'clock and they said I had about 20 minutes to go, it happened so fast. I didn't. I didn't have a chance to grab everything that I, I had planned to take. If I if I had to go, when it was scary, and I'm not a. I don't drive a lot, and I don't like to drive. And here I am on the road, and the 
the church is here burning. The trees are there just exploding all over the place. It has been so dark. It never, it never lightened up. The heavy mm -hmm. clouds of smoke and that, it was like driving at noon, it was like driving at midnight. Mm -hmm. And flames getting out of paradise, all, that's all I could do is get out of paradise. Yeah. And not knowing where she was, it was frightening. The emptiness that you feel and not knowing what you're leaving behind, you know it's gone. And you have nothing but the, the clothes on your back. And when we walked through these doors and everybody just congregated on us, can we help you? What do you need? Um, what can we do for you? The, it, it just, it was heart-wrenching for me because I, I never thought I would laugh or smile again. And, and the outpouring of love that it just comes from everybody here. Here's Robin again from the Red Cross. Whenever we open a shelter, it's always chaos the first day, no matter how big or small. The bigger it is, of course, the chaos is more intense. The clients were panicking. The staff were overwhelmed with the amount of clients that arrived so quickly. And it was just a team effort just to get everything going and organized in a manner to make the clients most comfortable. We were able to hand out water outside, get some chairs set up, get people quick help. We had nurses arriving on scene um, and just stopping to talk to some of them so that they, they could cry and they could you know say their stories. And that's mostly what our mission is about in a shelter is, is listening to our clients besides providing them a safe haven. The logistics of setting something at a fairgrounds of this magnitude is extremely complex. You have to know not only where septic systems are and sewage systems, water systems, bathrooms, and then where you can place each portable shower to be of the most use. You know, they have to have access to feeding. Do we do it inside? Do we do it outside? The other things that we did was we set up an outside pet shelter that was manned by our SPCA partners. And it was great. It was a nice shelter and everybody was kept warm and safe. And except for service animals that were inside the shelter with their owners, all the other animals were kept there very, very comfortable. The clients could come and visit their animals and yet still get some time away for themselves. And also that way the, the pets are kept very quiet and away from the trauma and the stress that they would sense from all the clients. So it worked out very, very well. We had a large animal shelter as well at the fairgrounds. So that was kept completely separate from everybody. And that was up in the barn area. So it was an extremely complex shelter to run. And on top of that, we had uh, private security teams come in that that patrolled the grounds and other things. And then you have vendors coming in to help with not, not only the feeding, but you've got the Veterans Association that comes in and helps with our, our veterans. And we brought in um, some entertainment outside. We had a big, large entertainment area. We had the most donations delivered to that shelter that I've ever experienced 
in my entire career with the Red Cross, we had lists going to where if someone came up to the registration desk and they had a need, they would put it on the list and with their name, and we would get it for them. Clyda Flanders, who escaped from her burning neighborhood with not much more than the clothes on her back, was grateful for both the physical and emotional support she found at the shelter. I can't tell you what they had, clothing and blankets and shoes and children's shoes and, and anything you would want um, for hygiene and health were there. And they just kind of took me around and said, here, you know, go shopping, basically. And uh, it made me feel like I was home. Don't worry about a thing. We got you. In addition to addressing the physical needs of the people who've been affected by disasters, food, clothing, shelter, supplies, the Red Cross also provides emotional support to help people cope with the trauma that is associated with these emergencies. And here Robin speaks to the individuals who carry out this work. Red Cross has a disaster mental health care team that appears at our shelters, and they are very, very dedicated, credentialed volunteers in their field. They were incredible during this disaster. We also had spiritual care leaders that came and also were of great, great comfort to the clients. And what they do is um, they're usually at least one, if not two, uh, on duty at all times. And they come into the shelter and will set up a table or an area or they and they walk around and they have a huge lanyard that that says who they are. So if anybody wants to stop them and talk to them, they can. We find that in a shelter, a lot of times that's the most important thing that clients after a disaster, especially after the first couple of days when their shock has worn off a little bit, they want to talk. Here's Bonnie again, who we heard from earlier. Besides getting the food and the, and the clothes, and um, they, they would sit with you and they hold your hand and, and, and they just let you talk and, and, and get it all, all out. And, and that, that's what helped me the most. And, and they just, they'd hug you. And, and... So eventually the Chico Fairgrounds wound up closing and they moved the shelter and condensed the other small church shelters that we had up to Chico as we brought in our recovery people and our caseworkers, they began to meet all the clients and set up with them what their needs were going to be. Were they able to, you know, whoever hadn't moved on and found family already, and they developed cases for them. And then they're contacted by our long-term recovery team who helps them find what resources we can get for them. We can do everything from even sometimes providing them their first month's rent or uh, helping with deposits and that kind of thing to move on. It's whatever they need. Do we need to, if they were pre-disaster homeless, do we need to get them a tent? We then open up um, centers that are called LACs, local assistance centers. And it was like the DMV, Social Security, Veterans Affairs, um, caseworkers for Red Cross, FEMA, all kinds of different entities were there insurance companies were there and 
anybody affected by the fire, whether they'd left, you know, and found a place to go or whatever, but they still needed to know what funds were available or what was available to them in any way, could go to that lack and get services. The services provided by the Red Cross and its partners help provide hope for the residents of Paradise, like Clyda, many of whom lost everything they owned. I really think that there's going to be a lot of people hanging around, and you know, if they can. I, I really think that there's going to be a phoenix. <laughs> I do. There's just a lot of um, home. People have been there a long time, and uh, a lot of they've got their time, their life invested in that town. So. I think I think good things are going to happen. It's just going to take time, and uh, there's going to be a lot of healing because um, uh, there's a lot of death and destruction, and more that we even know about right now. On the one-year anniversary of the campfire, the town of Gridley held an event, a celebration of rebuilding, as they called it. Robin attended, along with several other Red Cross volunteers who had responded to the fires 12 months earlier. We all wore our Red Cross emblems so that we could be identified and people came up to us lots of people came up to us and thanked us and said they remembered us or said that we helped one of their family members or lots of different things watching the resiliency of the paradise people one year later was amazing it's all we could all talk about they it was very positive that day. Everybody had joined together, and yes, there were tears, but there was so much positivity, and the speeches were all about the rebuilding and uh, still against uh, really unsurmountable odds. Their, their water still wasn't really safe to drink, but they were all there and hugging and, and brought together and had stories of how they were all helping each other and saying, we will rebuild our community. And I visited it once more after that, and just driving through with a friend, and the building is still going on, and they're growing strong. I want to give a big thank you to all who shared their experiences with us. And I also want to offer my heartfelt thoughts and compassion to those still coping with the trauma and grief brought on by the campfire. And thank you to all who tuned in. This episode was produced by Chi Kong Lu and me, Michael DeVolpierre. It was edited by Chi Kong Lu. And I also want to thank Barbara Gaines and Olivia Kozlevkar, as well as Matthew LaCour, for their help putting together this episode. If you liked what you heard, we encourage you to comment and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all for listening. Let's continue to look out for one another.